Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Face Tattoos, because nothing says you're friendly like letting strangers draw on your map. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Dunder Mifflin Papers. We got your stinking papers right here at Dunder Mifflin. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a show where we like to break apart movies, look for some kind of insights, as the movie talkie guy at the beginning says, uh, into the movie-making process. (laughs) And hopefully, you know, we can learn something interesting about films that can educate us as viewers or maybe as filmmakers, um, maybe as writers, themes, storytelling, all these things that uh, we like to try to pick apart and see what makes this movie work. And sometimes on the rare occasion, what doesn't make this movie work? The rare occasion? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The rare occasion. Maybe the rare occasion on the show, because we just like doing movies that we like. That's true. You know, that's true. It's it's much more fun to talk about a movie that you really, really enjoy than that you hate. So much easier. Isn't that strange that, you know, if you have a bad experience somewhere, you're more than likely going to tell somebody about it. But if you have a good experience, you more, more than likely won't. Yeah. It kind of fades. Yeah. Into... Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Right. But like, you know, when you're, when we want to do a movie, we want to do one that we love. Yeah. It's, it's weird. <laughs> no, it, that's it's a really, really good different. point because I think society in general likes to be offended and likes to bitch and moan basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so I, yeah, you know what, now that you say that, I am glad that we pick things that we can talk positively about Yeah, on average. Yeah. On average, <laughs> unless we're, you know, L- looking doing, to pick a bone, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, uh, transformers anyway. Um, yeah. So, uh, this movie. Yeah. Today, the big, the big sick. Yes. If you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. uh, maybe be aware because there are spoilers that lie ahead. Absolutely. We're going to talk all about this film. So if you haven't seen it, please go see it. It is actually streaming on um, Amazon. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can go watch it there. Or if you got to see it in the theater, that's great too. Awesome. Yes. Um, if not, I'm sure there's a dollar theater. So in it right. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. someone yeah. is planning it. We're going to talk a lot about a few things. I, I wouldn't say about a lot of things, but a few things, uh, at least on my end. Uh, we'll talk about the theme of The Big Sick which I don't know that I really have it as a very succinct thing so much as a running theme that I picked up in the big sick that is pretty freaking obvious, but I want to talk about how they relay that through using uh, the wardrobe. They do some storytelling through the wardrobe itself. I think Yeah, yeah. this is what no, I picked I, up. I've noticed that too. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about establishing tension. Uh, well, a quick synopsis of the film. Again, if you haven't seen it, go watch it first. Uh, even in the synopsis, you know, there might be a little bit of spoiler, but uh, when Emily contracts a mysterious illness, Kumal finds himself forced to face her feisty parents, his family's expectations and his true feelings. Directed by Michael Showalter, screenplay by Emily Gordon and Kumal Nanjiani, starring Kumal Nanjiani as Kumal, uh, Zoe, Zoe Karzan as Emily Holly Kazan. Kazan? Yeah. Boy, I'm, I'm adding letters. What's up? <laughs> Zoe Kazan as Emily, Holly Hunter as Beth, and Ray Romano as Terry. I was going to tell you about that. Are you judging Pakistan's next top model or something? Seriously, no. who are these women? Okay. Um, you know how we have arranged marriage in my culture? These are those women. These are women in Pakistan who want to marry you? They're not in Pakistan. 
You've met these women? Just with my parents and stuff. We haven't, like... But you're not serious about this, are you? It's my mom's thing. I just go along with it. So what does your mom think about you and me, then? She doesn't know about me, does she? No. Fuck! Five fucking months of red flags. Oh my god, I'm so stupid. You ducking my parents. Oh my god, the two-day rule. Seriously, red flag after red flag. You're such a liar. You lie to me. You lie to your parents. And those are just the people you like. Is there someone that you're not lying to you? I'd love to meet them, because then I could tell them what a fucking liar you are! You know what? You didn't tell me about your divorce until recently, so you were hiding fucking something too! My divorce does not mean that our future is impossible. It actually means the direct opposite. I'm not hiding anything from you, okay? I'm an open fucking book. Do you want to know what's in my cigar box? Stickers! Stickers and stamps! Aren't you a therapist? Aren't you supposed to be good at handling Where this kind of- Where are my fucking shoes?! Aren't you supposed to be, like, able to deal with this better than you are right now? I am expressing myself! You know what we call arranged marriage in Pakistan, Emily? Marriage, okay? We just call it marriage. There's another type of marriage, it's called love marriage, and that's bad. My cousin Rehan married an Irish woman, and he was kicked out of the family. Nobody is allowed to talk to him. Why didn't you tell me any of this? Because I didn't think you fucking understand, and I was fucking right! You don't think that I could fathom your life in oh, any fucking way? Oh, you think you can understand way? me? I'm fighting a 1,400-year-old culture. You were ugly in high school. There's a big fucking difference. I'm sorry. I can't lose my family. Can you imagine a world in which we end up together? I don't know. I have to go. Don't fucking call me. Wow. Like, that's a... <laughs> that scene can really hit home. Uh, I think it also kind of typifies what the movie's all about. Obviously, it's the most core scene and one that everyone saw uh, in the movie trailers. But there's a very strong theme of lying. Mm-hmm. and it's interesting in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of ways that you can look at the lying. Like, why is he lying? Um, because he lies to a lot of people, right? He lies to his family about, you know, praying and becoming a lawyer, <laughs> which is hilarious. The reason why he chose lawyer specifically, right? Right. It's because it's more believable than him becoming a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Um, they even use the, uh, the X-Files, as a as a reference to lying, right? When that that hilarious girl meets comes over the first time, she's like, "The truth is out there," <laughs> <laughs> and it becomes a little bit of a a theme later. Later on, it gets thrown back in his face with the uh, with Khadija that when she tells Kamel, uh, "I watched three episodes and it's terrible." That's yeah. A- Bad show. It's a bad show. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. I know. But it's also kind of representative. What that show is about is all about, you know, lies and trying to get to the truth. And they never can get to the truth. Yeah. And her throwing it back in his face is like saying, 
you know, you're, you're doing the wrong thing. You're never going to get to the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's why this is all wrong. Uh, I'll get to her a little bit later, but uh, even, you know, when he talks to his brother and he admits to his brother after this is after, <laughs> after the, uh, the Emily poop scene, yeah. um, his brother says that he's going to lose his family. And it scares Camille because he's having that critical moment. Camille is about coming clean and about being honest. And he goes to his brother first for some advice and, you know, trying to figure this whole thing out. And that chases any idea of coming clean, yeah. clean out of his head. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an interesting <clears throat> scenario to be in. Like, you know, if anybody who's ever started with like a little white lie, that grows into a little mm -hmm. bit bigger and a little bit bigger, not because you necessarily want it to or mean it to it just in order to maintain the little white lie, you got to continue on lying. Right. Um, and then it has, and then there comes a tipping point where you just have to, you either have to come clean or you got to dive in hardcore, you know, Lance Armstrong style. <laughs> you know what I mean? For lack of a better term. Call the cameras. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I feel like in this, in that scene, in that scenario, it's for him, he really, you know, when he was getting in a relation, any relationship he's been in, he, he probably hasn't thought, I really need to let this person know and need to let this girl know that there's no chance, you know, like, yeah. why would he think that? Right. Yeah. Because one, he's probably not thinking to end up with them, but even if it, he is, it's so good right now. Why would he want to say, to tell them the truth and maybe they'll leave when it's like, no, this is good. I don't, you know, I don't want you to leave. It, it you know, it's kind of between a rock and a hard place in that regard, you know? Yeah. He, he wants it all. It's this is very much a, uh, have your cake and eat it too situation. Yeah. Um, you can either eat the cake or you can just have the cake in front of you. <laughs> once one once you eat it that's it's gone <laughs> yeah and yeah. he is so hard trying to navigate uh like you said both trying to keep his family while also trying to keep the girl um and see where that goes because maybe in his mind too like eventually him and emily hit a stopping point and a natural rhythm comes to an end uh as most things in life do like oh this job is great until you know it's over and i think he was just trying to write out that personal storyline which is great because this is based on a true story and yeah. so it's not like these aren't real life things that he didn't have to deal with you know this is all very much rooted in yeah. his reality of meeting his wife yeah i mean another good example of that of that is when he goes to emily's place with her, his with her parents mm -hmm. and starts trying to lie to get out of yeah. hanging out with them <laughs> and a little lie turns into a a bigger first I, he has a gig and then oh he's headlining oh i i can't have I, I it's sold out but you're headlining so you could get a couple people in <laughs> and then okay fine yeah, <laughs> you know just relax yeah but then he gets called on it later by the mom yeah. like you didn't have a gig tonight did you and she's amazing oh my god she steals she the show completely steals it and i love her in that scene in the uh, during his show mm -hmm. when she attack when she attacks the the kid that attacked him we got a recruiter for eyes over here yeah <laughs> yeah amazing and going continuing about lies and dishonesty emily right there's a interesting there's so many areas that they dive into lying and dishonesty and hiding and just being authentic and at a, at a root of it maybe it's because 
he's he's afraid you know obviously he's afraid of what he can lose but maybe he just doesn't love himself enough to be honest about the things he wants in life Hmm. because admitting it to your family suddenly makes these things real on on a whole different level uh maybe to him he maybe being a lawyer is like some backup plan in a weird way but more more than anything obviously he just doesn't want to lose all the things he has and lying helps perpetuate you know the, the status quo but with Emily, there's some interesting things that are happening with her because obviously the the surface level lie that we have with Emily is that she doesn't know about the arranged uh, marriage situation. But we see a couple of opportunities for her to lie, and they don't last long. Uh, the the whole poop scene, right, is her trying to lie about you know just life yeah. <laughs> and her reality, which is the reality of every human. Yeah, and. And she comes clean, and she's more comfortable for it. She has a long opportunity to lie about being divorced or previously married, and she she comes clean with that. And uh, what's interesting in that scene, uh, there's a lot of things. I'll come back to it. But one of the first things is that she says to him that she's completely overwhelmed by him. And he comes back and copies her words, and she finds it weird. Like, at first, it's kind of coming off like she's just kind of poking fun at him uh but she's being completely serious and authentic yeah because he's being inauthentic yeah. and it's not until right at the end of the movie when he comes clean and he really voices how he feels about her with with his little bag of uh, memories with of her in the hospital um and their whole situation which by the way that moment was brilliantly executed because like you said you feel like she's kind of joking with him saying oh that was weird and you, you still it still feels lighthearted, mm-hmm. but then it it's like they oh, sit no. on that moment they sit on it you know for just a few extra beats not yeah. like super right. long yeah but long enough for it to just really get awkward <laughs> For everyone, for the audience. I mean, I'm not even mm-hmm. sitting there, and I feel awkward for Kumal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so true. Yeah, and she also. Uh, it's interesting in the uh, in the grocery store. Um, his parents are dying to meet her. He's lying to her at that point, and that's also when she like reveals that she has a sprained ankle, and ultimately it sends her into her her sick spiral. Mm-hmm. But stepping back like he's lying to himself right he's incapable of being vulnerable in his own show that's about himself (laughs) he makes it more about his culture and the place he came from but none of that's really him and emily after the show it's amazing because she's like no i want to i didn't learn anything about you this show is about you and i learned nothing about you yeah (laughs) and that's obviously an issue that he's having about himself um who is he his own identity is what he's ultimately struggling with and then his parents obviously had just this all kinds of interesting lies surrounding his parents. For one, uh, I thought it was really funny when they get back to Emily's place and Terry is looking at the books and he picks out this book that he gave to her. Beth is like, no, I gave that to her. And he is so convinced that he gave it to her until Beth is like, check the inscription. He's like, no, I don't want to check the inscription. Yeah. That, <laughs> Oh my God, it reminds me of me. That's so something I would do with my wife. <laughs> but it's so good. It's like he's, there's all kinds of lies that are happening throughout the film. Kamel, like you said, lies about doing the show. But I love how uh, Beth tells the story of how Terry wasn't accepted into her family and says that 
and Camille's like, well, how did, how'd y'all fix that? And she's like, no, they just got over it. It took a lot of messed up dinners and it's undoing everything that his brother told him. Yeah. It's the polar opposite. Uh, his brother says, no, run away. Just do what mom says. And she's like, no, do what you want. Push through it. It's just going to be weird. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be awkward AF. Yeah. And I love that. Uh, she also tells him that doctors don't know what they're doing either. They're winging it like everyone else. Like there's such a great life lesson that's happening for Kamel, uh, in that scene. And there's a lot of other, you know, lying themes that are perpetuated throughout the film. Kamel's family lies about Kamel not showing up for the date, right? Yeah. Uh, he's in a traffic jam. She's like, no, I was just on the 405. <laughs> There's no traffic jam. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they try to lie through. Yeah. Second, making a phone call. <laughs> yeah. And speaking a different language. Yeah. And they get called out immediately. <laughs> it's so perfect. And the rest of the film is just, you know, checkered full of, full of these things. It's a obviously a really huge running thing. But the thing that around halfway through the film I picked up on was how they're using, I think, wardrobe and I'm almost positive they're doing this on purpose. If they're not, then they really screwed up an amazing opportunity. Or more likely, I just didn't pick up exactly how they're trying to do it. Okay. <laughs> That's the most likely of all scenarios here. So let's be <laughs> honest. And Kumail, it, so it feels like largely there's, a, there's three types of clothing options that we're looking at. Solids, stripes, and these little circle, circular patterns. And depending on what someone's wearing is really going to dictate how their day or how that scene is going to go. As we open up the, the film, Kumail's opening stand-up section, he has this flowered sweater on with like these flowered snowflake things in the center. And around it on the top and bottom of those flowered things um, are these stripes. And they're kind of zigzagging, but there's these stripes. And I think the stripes largely represent our patterns um, heavy patterns, plaids, stripes, anything like that represents lying and deceit. Um, solids seem to represent uh, like honesty and just generally being forthright. Circles seem to represent like brutal honesty and like really being super forthright. And we can explore. I'll dive through as quickly as I can. Like there's, there's Here we a go. litany of these mofos. Awesome. <laughs> but we look at the uh, his first Citizen Now show. What's well, interesting about this one is he's wearing these traditional robes that, that are dark red, and they have these kind of golden vertical stripes coming through it. Um, and as we just discussed, like he's discussing his home country, but he's being inauthentic. He's lying. There's a there's a layer of deceit that's happening here. Um, and at Emily's party, when she comes clean. She's wearing circles like they're all over her shirt. We also have Kumail when he gets busted. He's wearing the solid gray shirt. And I think there's a lot that's happening with the color scheme, too. I didn't have nearly enough time to try to pick that apart because it'll come relevant towards the end whenever I think this whole thing falls apart and I don't understand what they're doing. Okay. <laughs> but in the meantime... <laughs> He's, he's wearing this gray shirt, and that's when he comes clean about his life and his reality and what he's dealing with as compared to her. And she's wearing solid colors, too. But that's her thing in general. She seems to generally be wearing these solid colors with very few exceptions. So that's, that's a big moment, right, him coming clean there. But then we fast forward to the, uh, the hospital when he meets the parents. He's wearing these stripes, this plaid shirt. Uh, what's interesting here is that Terry, Ray Romano's character, Terry, 
also has stripes on and it's kind of it feels like it's serving as a as a, as a camouflage um, for Kamel. He has this striped plaid shirt on that's over this solid shirt. So it feels like he's kind of covering up. He's hiding who he really is. And by contrast to these two liars, <laughs> Holly Hunter's character, uh, Beth, she has these solid plain colors on. You know, she's not she doesn't have anything to hide on the second visit. This still holds true in the doctor's office. He's still wearing, you know, this plaid shirt and Ray still has this, uh, I want to say he's still wearing his striped shirt on and he, in the doctor's office itself, um, not just a second visit, but when he gets into the doctor's office, when they invite him in, he's literally hiding behind a plant. <laughs> he's like <laughs> tucked into the corner of the room as far away as he can be still negate, navigating, uh, negotiating, you know, the world of what he wants to do, what he wants to be. And just BTW, the doctor, uh, is also wearing solids, not just her white coat, but the maroon shirt underneath that maybe that symbolizes like death and, uh, and green maybe represents life and affirmative things. I don't know. I think there's probably something in there with that. Hard to say. Mm-hmm. The The third day, Terry still has on stripes. Uh, the third day of the hospital. And Kumail has a solid blue shirt on with this kind of green undershirt, um, which comes into play later. As at the family dinner, he still has on the same clothes. And at the end of that day is when he takes Khadijah home. And admits to her that he's in love with someone else and that this whole arranged marriage thing isn't his deal. And by the way, I thought Khadija was awesome. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Part of you is kind of rooting for her and you yeah. feel really heartbroken with her when she's, you feel the effect that his lie has on her, mm-hmm. even though she's only involved in a very short window. And it's also kind of funny to hear the way his mom talks about her later on whenever he confesses. She's like, she's very high in demand. <laughs> Yeah. You kind of get a glimpse into this world of arranged marriage. Yeah. God, that's a world I don't think I want any part of. Oh, no. Not, not that my you Jeez. know world is much better, but I have at least a choice of where I get yeah, exactly. kicked no. in the heart. <laughs> As opposed to Khadijah, she just has to kind of show up. But then, So fast forward again to the fourth day in the hospital. And Kamel has a solid jacket and shirt on now. This is the day after right, he's kind of come clean to someone. Once again, and he's wearing these solid colors, except for his jacket has this collar and uh, with a stripe on it and the elastic at the bottom of the jacket that has these stripes on it. And so it feels like he's starting to hide less. Maybe he's he's dipping his toe into these waters. But uh, Terry also has uh, his solid shirt on. And that night is when he comes clean about his affair. Right. When they're they're having that big heart to heart moment and. And Terry is just doing the worst job of like coming up with analogies and profound wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> and what's really cool is that that night as they're laying down and talking, his bed, Kamel's bed is all solid. And Terry's bedding, even though he has on uh, this solid shirt right now, he's kind of stripped down. He's got a solid white shirt on, but he's lying on sheets and pillows that are striped. And it's like he's lying in his bed of lies. And it feels very symbolic of uh, his past. And that's just kind of the world that he's built for himself. And now he has to kind of lie on it, even though he it's all out in the open now with Kamel, but previously with with his wife, Beth. And I thought that was really interesting because the next day as you waking up, that same mattress is now bare. 
and it's kind of leaned against the wall and it's solid green. It's like there's a there's a pot of positive effect that he left in his in his wake. Kumail now has his striped blue shirt on again, and this is a big day for him. This is the day I think he 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 has to face all his lives. He meets his his parents come, come parents over. come yeah. right over. He's wearing a striped shirt and he's trying to go back into this place of hiding, but he's confronted at every step of the way, including himself. Um, his parents come over, right? Like you said, they surprise him at his apartment, and he comes clean about praying and about Emily. And it's interesting, too, in that scene that his shirt clashes against his mother's uh, clothing. And she has on these small dots. I don't know if, if they're flowers or whatnot, but uh, it's a very fine dotted pattern. It's all clashing. It doesn't work. You could also say that, you know, that these patterns are indicative of the cultures themselves. Like he's trying to, you know, hide in this American culture with plaids and stripes and this and that. And maybe his mom is representing, you know, his his heritage. And that's the the thing that doesn't quite work. But we go back to the hospital and he's trying to talk his parents, uh, not his parents, Emily's parents out of moving her. And Terry still has a solid shirt on. Beth, of course, is still rocking her solid clothes and it doesn't work. Right. He's everything that he's trying to do is just failing. And he goes to the fast food place and he has this complete meltdown with the, uh, the window guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I just want four slabs of cheese. He's like, sir, yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> That's such a great, so I'll ring you up for four burgers. <laughs> yeah. And he apologizes. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but then he also has this meltdown on stage. And, uh, what I love about that is we've discussed this in previous episodes, but there's kind of this, uh, light rule, at least with the good storytellers, it seems to me, of you can't have two successful things go right, um, which I guess is redundant, but you can't have two things go right. Um, he opens it, his stand up in the opening scene with the cheese joke, and I think heroin's doing the heavy lifting there, <laughs> which is so good. And he just lands it, and that's also the show that he meets Emily on. And then the second time, uh, he tries to, this cheese joke is when he's worried that Emily's dying and this, this is it for her. And he just completely abandons it. Like he can't even do it anymore. And that's when he kind of has his big emotional moment, but it fails. Like you can't see someone do the same act that works really well. One time you can't see it work really well again. Um, that seems to be a general storytelling rule. And he, so he has this big breakdown and he shows up on the sixth day, still in the same blue striped shirt. And this is when Emily wakes up and she's wearing this gown and the gown has all these little circles on it. It's the, you could throw it away as this, Oh, that's just a, the gown pattern. You could pattern that thing, anything you see these, the light blue ones. I mean, there's all kinds of gowns that they could throw on her. But in this case, it's interesting because it's similar to Camille's mom who was brutally honest and was at that moment like rejecting him and really ejecting him from her world. And now Emily's doing the same thing. She's saying uninhibited, right? The drugs kind of stripped away all her inhibitions and she's admitting to him how he makes her feel mm -hmm. and the, his, his acts, his lies. And it's perfectly represented through the wardrobe and then you fast forward a little bit later to Emily's party 
and she has these uh, light blue stripes on. And I don't know, I, she's still having this this moment. Maybe at this point, she's starting to lie to herself a little bit about how she feels about Camille. And it's interesting because you fast forward to the awkward family dinner that Beth kind of foreshadowed. <laughs> and he arrives, Kumel arrives to that with a solid maroon shirt on. And he's just apologizing and cracking jokes at the same time, right? He mm-hmm. has those adorable flashcards. But he refuses to leave. Emily's bedroom later on, we fast forward at maybe even the next scene. And this is when her parents come in to say that, or her mom comes in to say that she's leaving. They're going back to wherever Carolina, if that's where they're from. I don't know. North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. And she's wearing these overalls with a striped shirt underneath it. And I think she is lying to herself about not only how she feels about Kumail, but also about being ready to be on her own again. And it's amazing because from there she goes to Kamel's show and he's wearing this dark green shirt with these little white stripes. So it's almost like he's he's telling these little white lies. The stripes are much more thinner and, and much more sparse. And it's comedy, like, but in this show he's being honest about himself, but it's mostly honest, right? It's mm-hmm. still comedy, still uh using these little white lies to probably accent his jokes. And she shows up in her striped shirt and it's like, oh, their their worlds are kind of coalescing again a little bit, but maybe the, the timing just isn't right, I guess. Yeah. Um, because in his final stand-up, do you know what he's wearing? No. <laughs> Whenever she shows up in New York, he's wearing uh, this brown shirt with these little circles on it. Huh. And it's like he's kind of come full circle. And oh, that's awesome. He's ready to be a part again. Um, I didn't notice any of this, by the way. Really? <laughs> yeah, not, zero. None of it. And what's what's really great is he admits to lying to his family. That's kind of the shtick of that stand-up. Yeah. He's coming super clean. This is the most honest and forthright he's ever been, probably in his life. But yeah, I think that kind of tells the full story. Like it's It's something I don't think we've talked about on the show before, but it's a really subtle, cool way that you can accent themes through through your wardrobe and he, they do it really subtly, but brilliantly because there's a, probably a couple of different layers that you can look at it through whether they're covered up with a jacket, maybe, maybe whether they have, uh, obviously the patterns I think play the most specific role, but also maybe in dictating what world they're representing at any given time. I think that kind of thing is brilliant because you know, you can do something pretty obvious, like light somebody a certain way or only shoot them from, you know, facing it in one direction or whatever, like how, you know, you can do all these, these other things, but that's much more noticeable, Mm -hmm. you know, and it jumps out. This kind of thing is, it's almost like it's telling you subconsciously how, how this person is acting. And so you assign that mentally, you assign that action to them without even, you know, thinking about it. So you don't have to, you don't have to like, like by process of elimination, think of how someone is acting. It just kind of, you feel it by seeing it, you know? Absolutely. Because visually, what do those things look like? Like a, uh, the, the stripes and plaid almost look like a wall or shield that someone's holding up. And then the circles look like you're getting to see straight into someone's soul. You see through them. Whereas the solids are maybe just, they're just being, they Mm -hmm. are who they are and there's no pretense. And it's a, it, it is. It, I think there is a very strong, simple visual association that you kind of Im- implant into the audience. God, I, I love finding these things because 
honestly, the first, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes of the film, I was like, man, I'm not seeing anything. This looks like pretty by the numbers filmmaking. Like we're going to get our coverage maybe because, uh, the style, they do a lot of handheld to kind of immerse you a little bit more into the world. Uh, because you're kind of experiencing this through Emily and Kamel's uh, perspective because they wrote this story. This is very mm-hmm. much their world. And so it makes sense that you do so much handheld uh, stuff because that's a very POV thing yeah. and very personal. But yeah, I mean, it still felt pretty by the numbers. I like the, it almost had this uh, faded, washed out visual quality to the coloring lightly, maybe not the whole way through, but in general. And Finding this, though, I was like, oh, wait a second, you know, and I had to rewind at a certain point and kind of scrub through the first part of the movie to find like, oh, yeah, they are. I think they are doing this. <laughs> but the, the part where it kind of falls apart is after he comes clean to his parents and before we see him at the final stand up is he's still wearing uh, some of these plaid colors and our plaid patterns. And there's like some orange happening. And so I don't know how strictly they were about it because part of it might also be that he's Americanized and um, that's just a part of his wardrobe because you still see a lot of these clothing options throughout the story. They didn't necessarily have to do to do that. Like in a film like this, it's not unreasonable to say they have, you know, 30 shirts to choose from. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But maybe to kind of help drive home that he doesn't have a lot of, uh, money, like, cause he's an Uber driver. Cause there's, there's these other things that I didn't really pick up on very well that I think they're trying to do like that. He's an Uber driver in his opening montage. They have him kind of, they're jump cutting with him in the car. And I, I don't remember ever really thinking, oh, okay, he's a, he's, a, he's an Uber driver. It just didn't dawn on me. <laughs> it just, really? went, it didn't really land home oh. that hard until, uh, Later in the film, whenever he talks about being an Uber driver. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but maybe that's probably a lot. Your driver to, will be with you when he yeah. puts on your van, his pants. <laughs> yeah. But that probably has more to do with my uh, poor attention span at times. <laughs> yeah, I, I caught the Uber driver thing like pretty spot on. But it wasn't, they didn't, you know, hit you over the head with it. It wasn't something yeah. like, it'd be easy to miss, that's for sure. You know what else I thought was funny was that the, the comedy largely the comedian's banter isn't really all that funny to me. It just kind of struck me as more endearing, like, okay, these guys just kind of punching back and forth at each other, but it wasn't like some other movies, like, I don't know, funny people where I think, Oh, the banter between these people is like getting a real laugh out of me uh, as opposed to. And so for them, for the comedians, it felt like this is just fun banter. Um, one or two lines kind of hit me like, Oh, that was really good. I think it's Bo Burnham. I don't know any comedians. I'm not really big on that circle, but the the guy who's like a really good comedian, yeah. his punches He's <laughs> awesome. at the roommate was oh really good. He's like, oh. oh, that was good. Instead of that, how about you quit comedy and go kill yourself? Damn, it's so cutting. It's awesome. It's great. But as in contrast, though, all the comedy between is really in the relationships between like Emily and Camille and Camille and his parents and her parents. Um, that stuff with Ray Romano is just a great oh comedian. Oh my God. He, <laughs> he's, he's so dry. I mean, um, and I know that Holly Hunter is amazing in this film. I get mm-hmm. it. I totally get it. But Ray makes it 
Ray makes this movie for me. I mean, they could repl- they literally could replace anybody else, including Holly. Yeah, and it would be just as good if Ray is in it. He, there's something about him being a dad, um, but like older now. You know, when everybody loves Raymond was going on, he's just like, okay, is this funny guy? I guess whatever, maybe. But now he's it's he's more believable to be, you know, like a dad, and you just you just love him because he could so easily be a jerk to Kumal, but he doesn't, you know, and he's not a, a jerk to him, and he kind of like reaches out to him in a lot of ways, and he stumbles over himself <laughs> instead of Kumal stumbling, stumbling over himself, which you'd expect. Yeah. You Trying know. to impress the parents. Right. Exactly. And he, and he does from time to time, I guess. But for the most part, it's really, it's really him. But then he has these moments of, of, uh, of like, like, you know, he gets it, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it's hard to explain, but he's just so good the way he delivers everything. And, and, um, and it works so well, unsure too. Unsure of himself. Because yeah. of how different those two are. Like, he's this hulking, tall man mm. uh, that's so gentle. And usually, whenever you think of parents, the, the stereotype that comes to mind is the woman is gentle and easygoing, and the dad is the is the hard hard ass when it comes to his daughter. Like, And in this case, it's the complete opposite. She was ready to, Beth was ready to throw him away. And she's tiny. She's so tiny, but. She's got so much fire in her, right? Mm-hmm. And even, especially the bar scene where she like is about to come over over the table at that guy. Um, but even later on, whenever they're they're having this confrontation, Terry and Beth, and Beth is calling him out on his you know weakness, and she like circles him like a oh my god, like, like a lioness, prey. Yeah, and it's just brutal. You're like, oh man, dude, back down. Yeah. <laughs> And she brings so much life to it and more of the tenderness uh, because of how how strong and sturdy she is. Those moments of tenderness uh, really punch you that much harder. Yeah. God, yeah. I mean, they're both just incredible. I agree. I mean, Ray brings you in, but I think Holly, like, puts the hard one on your chin. <laughs> really? Yes. Because their goodbye, how? their goodbye is much more powerful than his goodbye with uh, whose goodbye, um, Kamel and Beth. Oh yeah, their yeah, goodbye is sure. much more strong for sure than the goodbye with uh, Terry. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. get that. I get that. But <laughs> come on, like I don't know. This some the, okay. Is there were a lot of funny parts in in this film that I laughed? You know, it was funny mostly with him, but. Granted. The funniest part is at the end, it's towards the end, where she drinks out of the cup, and she and she says, "What is that? It tastes like semen." And he goes, "That's what a father wants to hear from his daughter." <laughs> Whatever. It's like me saying it now is not funny, but him saying it in the movie, I was rolling. Both times I watched it, I was rolling uh, just because of his delivery. You know, like little things like that. Or, uh, so nine 11 was one of the talk to people about it, you know, like, yeah. like this, he knows how to make an awkward it. situation, like really fun and enjoyable. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess, I guess maybe both of them together make this movie. That'd probably be a better way to say it because yeah. he makes the comedic relief aspect of it for sure. Yeah. And she, while she's funny at times, 
is is definitely the serious. Yeah, she's the straight man that he really gets to bounce off of. Yeah, I guess. yeah. The contrast between them definitely makes their their dynamic work on all mm-hmm. the levels you really want it to work. Yeah. But I think particularly the surprise you get out of just kind of a, a stereotypical role reversal um, that they both bring to it. I love them. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're great guys. And I love that sure. they patch it up at the end. Like she's finally ready to be in the same bed with him. And mm-hmm. um, they heal as well. Yeah. As a part of Emily's healing process. Yeah. That's so fantastic. What about, so you also have on here, you want to talk about tension. Yeah. So super easy, not very hard to pick up on, but I like that the opening few scenes kind of established the tension in his life and the world that he's navigating. Because right from the get-go, um, the voiceover, right, we, we established that he's from Pakistan. And generally, whenever you think of the Middle East, no matter which part, you're thinking religion. Yeah. Um, that's just one of the uh, standard things that come part and parcel with being from the Middle East. And so seeing he's from... In, from Pakistan, you start to think, oh, okay, you know, uh, there's there's some strict upbringing religious tones that come associated with it. And then he hooks up with Emily, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe he's not. Maybe maybe it's not that serious. Um, but then they chase that immediately with dinner with his super religious family where he has to go pray, and he meets a suitor, and you come home, and you see he has a box full of candidates. Um, and then you cut back to him and Emily together. And so just through, you know, whatever that is, like a five-minute sequence, ten-minute sequence, you establish really quick that there's a tension in his life. And they don't, they don't necessarily spell it out that this is his struggle, but just from seeing it and seeing how blasé he is about it all. He's pretty nonchalant about everything in his life. Yeah. Um, even whenever that opening scene that we talked, that we listened to, that we played, whenever she's saying, you know, is there a scenario, a situation that we get to be together? He's almost laughing when he says no. <laughs> like, yeah. he's like, no, what did you think? Are you stupid? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's brutal, but that's just to him part of his world. And it definitely ties back into what he's dealing with in, interpersonally, but also internally. But they do it so quick and seamlessly. And it comes back to something we've been talking a lot about lately, which is unwasted moments, unwasted time. They're not wasting a lot of time with establishing his world and what he's dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. So that said, uh, I mean, that's more or less all I got. What, uh, what was your feeling walking away from this movie? I couldn't believe how hard it hits that I watched it twice recently the first time i was like man the one i wasn't trying to take any notes but after the movie i was like doesn't really have any punches it doesn't land mm-hmm. any big emotional punches but then fast forward to like an hour ago and i'm like choking back tears <laughs> throughout, oh, yeah. throughout the whole film like so i don't know maybe i just wasn't being a very good viewer i was totally tuned in but it just wasn't hitting me yeah. but i also put on my earbud, my ear uh, noise-canceling Bose headphones. Not sponsored. Product placement. <laughs> Product placement. <laughs> Bose. But, but I just seemed, and I was taking notes, and I couldn't believe how hard this was hitting me at every emotional punch that they were landing. And so, hmm. I don't know. What, is, what was your takeaway? How did you feel? I, so I feel like it hit me harder the first time I watched it, but that was a while ago. So, oh, I mean, all in all, it's a, I think it's a really good film. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I felt like there were some good 
twist isn't the right word. There were some good turns uh, in a story that's been told a lot. You know, um, not necessarily. You know, like I, I would lo- dated this girl, lost her, she got sick, and I, and now we're together. Like, not necessarily, but it's the whole I date you, we break up, we get back together story. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some good. Um, aspects of it that hadn't been told before that I liked a whole lot. And I love that it's based on a true story that he and his wife wrote it. Yeah. Uh, so you, you know, you're, you're watching this and if you watching this, knowing that you think it's a totally different experience than just watching it as like a movie that somebody, I'll have this idea. No, this, some, they lived through this, you know, in probably a very similar way. I mean, I would imagine that, I mean, obviously there's going to be, you know, artistic license. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, I bet a lot of this is like completely true. I mean, it didn't, it didn't really, I think the the biggest parts that hit me emotionally were when they go over to her apartment, when she's in, when she's going to have surgery the next day, they tell her, tell them to go home. And, you know, me as a parent, I sit there and I think I wouldn't leave. I would just stay in the hotel or in the hospital and, and, and be there just in case, you know, whatever. But they choose to go to her, her place, which is fine. I mean, every, you yeah. know, that's nothing wrong with that. But I, I was just, I tend to put myself in the situations of parents. And I think they probably did that just for practical reasons of location changing. Yeah, sure. And sure. I think it's harder to be funny in a hospital <laughs> with True. a dying girl True. in the next room. And it's, it's easy to be emotional going into her apartment, yeah. seeing her things. It's thinking of the one thing that should be there. Thinking she could be gone yeah. tomorrow, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think it hit when it needed to hit and it, it, you know, had comic relief when it needed to have that and some, some twists when it needed to have that. So, you know, the, the heckler um, was, that was a, that was a perfect little thing. Um, all these little moments that were really nice. I never got sick of anybody. I kind of got sick of the mom. But not because she was a bad actress. Right. You know Obviously. what I mean? Yeah. Because of just, it's that sort of thing is just the most frustrating thing to me. Yeah. Um, but I would probably give it out of 10. I would probably give it a good solid eight. Eight out of 10. Nice. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Really? Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to knock any of the acting, really. Maybe some of it wasn't the best, but it wasn't like noticeably bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the writing was really tasteful, really good. Uh, I could tell at, at times they were winging it, which was great. The whole argument scene that you played earlier, yeah. I feel like, yes, of, of course it was scripted and they had to say certain things, but it was, I feel like a lot of it was, was off the cuff too. He talked over her at one point or maybe two points. He talked over her. Uh, and just usually when, when you write a film, that sort of thing doesn't happen when you're writing it. You know, it's like on set, you let that happen, I bet, a lot. Sometimes it's interesting, too, because one of the problems with that kind of scene is usually the way they do it, and not always. It's going to vary from director to director. But usually the way you're going to do it is you don't overlap each other in the moment, especially whenever you have two different camera angles, which they were doing in that scene. They're, they separated them out of the frame together. And yeah. now they're 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 separating in the scene and visually they're they're apart as you're having to cut from one to the other. So usually what they'll do 
is try to make sure as an actor, you're giving a, a small space between deliveries and probably what happened is the, uh, the editor then starts to heavily overlap these things. Cause you have clean dialogue, right? And, um, and now it's a lot easier to start J cutting L cutting, which is whenever you're overlapping audio and visual and creating all this extra tension. Uh, but that said, this being, I don't know, a bit of a comedy and also, so such an emotional moment, it wouldn't also surprise me that they were heavily overlapping each other mm-hmm. and just being as diligent as they possibly could about capturing the audios yeah. as clean as they can. Personally, I'm, I'm of that variety. Like I'd rather overlap dialogue and get a better performance than, than not. But I also don't have millions of dollars to spend on <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. day getting one scene done. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh and I also like that the like towards the end the her getting used to being back in in life and being you know not taken care of by her fam by her parents and letting them go back back home and and that just kind of whole uh, awkwardness of of like well I kind of wasn't supposed to be here still now I am here and so I got to kind of get back used to living again and you know addressing that because yeah. i th- i feel like you know uh, it's it's movies are usually cut that out they don't yeah. deal with that and it's great because she has that line where she point blank tells him as he's having his uh little show and tell and she's mm-hmm. like yo this is great but all that stuff you experienced i was asleep yeah i didn't get to have any of that i'm still in the same place that you dropped me off at Uber driver. Yeah. And it's, it's perfect because I think probably in older films, it's the, it's becomes this kind of, they kiss and cry and cut to the credits. You know, Uh, you have the confession of love and that's the way you end it as opposed to this, right? She lets them know that I have no resolution yet. And she eventually gets there. But they also, and this is an interesting thing too, is that they end on separate cuts. We don't really get to see mm-hmm. them come together, come together. Yeah. We don't get to see the final kiss. Uh, instead, they, they leave that up to our imaginations as they're intercutting the end, doing these slow push-ins, and we end on her. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. It, it leaves the, the third edit in your mind. Yeah. You're which, putting them back together. Yeah, exactly. Which you know I love. Yes. When they don't just like, give it to you. Yeah, same. That's yeah. what she said. <laughs> nice. Nice. Awesome. Um, so you give it an eight as well? Yeah, I give it an eight. Um, recommendation for the week? Yes. Uh, oh, so I'm going to go a little bit old school. A little bit old school. Quite Quite a while ago. Uh, but I'm going to recommend Gangs of New York, which is completely, t- I know it's like totally different from what we we're just That's talking about. So random. It's totally <laughs> random. For whatever reason, it popped into my head and I have this like, like hankering to watch Daniel Day Lewis mm. right now. That's I don't hilarious. know Cause why. there was that line in the big sick where he's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're just like Daniel Day Lewis, except you're terrible. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
and, and there's and so because I have this like hankering to watch him, and I really don't want to watch There Will Be Blood anymore. Yeah, it's, okay. it's too much. Um, but I want to watch him be like a badass. Nice. Uh, I I just that popped in my head, and I thought, oh yeah, that's totally. I'm gonna recommend that. So <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, very cool. I'm on the fence. Like I have two. I think I'm going to recommend Ruby Sparks. Mm. That has Paul Dano, who is also in uh, There Will Be Blood. But it stars Zoe Kazan, or Kazan. I'm sorry. We're terrible. Because she's listening. Yeah, right. (laughs) She's one of our 40. (laughs) (laughs) And she's amazing. And that's such a great film. Yeah, I recommend it, if for no other reason than just her performance. Great. Don't go away. I don't know. So stay tuned for next week. Don't go away. <laughs> Just stay right here for stay seven tuned days. For next week. And so next week, I'm so excited to say we're going to, we're going to do, um, uh, the Avengers infinity war. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully yeah. it's not a terrible movie. Definitely. I know it's hard to do a good comic book movie these days. Yeah. So I've seen the trailer. Yeah. You oh, haven't nice. seen the trailer. No, I have not seen anything. Okay. Like I'm walking in completely blind into this movie, which is a miracle. Awesome. Because this isn't exactly a sleeper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ten years in the making. Right? Yeah. Super excited. Awesome. Don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes if you have not already. Um, and also, don't be afraid to leave us a note if you'd like us to take on a, a movie. If you want to comment on this specific episode, do so at thepestlepodcast.com slash thebigsick. And the pestle is spelled P-E-S-T-L-E, like mortar and pestle, because we like to grind these things up and see what they're made of nice yeah awesome um so we're gonna leave you with a quote of the day uh this one's from john lennon there are two basic motivating forces fear and love when we're afraid we pull back from life when we're in love we open to all that life has to offer with passion excitement and acceptance nice where'd you where'd you get that i love that i don't I'm not sure why I just suddenly was like, oh, man, I want to hear from John Lennon about love. But, it, yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere because, I, you know, I try to think thematically, and this one kind of really stuck with me because I think Kamel was largely operating out of a place of fear. Yeah. Throughout yeah. the entire movie, he was afraid, yeah. what are my parents going to think? Right. What is my girlfriend going to think? And so he never really found that pure place of love until the end. You know that that's really interesting. If I could tell, just like a, a little, a little personal thing. So, mm-hmm. so found out the other day, my sister's pregnant. She's going to have a third baby. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. Congratulations! So yeah, Uncle so Todd. I'm going to be an uncle again for that's a third time, awesome. which is great. The, the, there's a fundamental difference between my sister and I. And the fundamental difference is I don't give a shit what my parents think. Hmm. I mean, I, I care just like any other human being would care. I want my parents to be proud of me. And, uh-huh. and of course, of course. But if there's something that I, that I love that I want to do, not getting my parents' blessing to do it does not stop me from doing it. Yeah. So, but it absolutely stops her. 100%. Uh, I mean, it, it stops her in her tracks. And she was afraid telling my parents, she's married, she's been married uh, to her husband for years they have two other kids together this is their third kid together you know he's he's from mexico he's mexican he's legal here he wasn't at first but he is now but he doesn't make a ton of money but he makes it's decent but she was worried telling my parents 
their reaction because all through uh, her other two kids, the reaction was never good. It was always, you know, the, I mean, they support her. They love her. They love, you know, their grandchildren, their granddaughters, but it was always worry about how are you going to do this kind of thing. And, you know, I was talking to my dad today and I said, what if I were to call you and tell you that we were having a third kid? What would your response be? And it would be totally different. Wow. And, and even if it wasn't, it wouldn't bother me, but it would bother her. And so same thing with Kamal yeah, and his, and dealing with his parents and, and what his family would say. He needed to just grow a pair. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yes, maybe it would suck in the moment, but people get over it. You'll, they'll get over it, and they'll be so happy they did. I guarantee you they probably love his wife now. That's a good question. Though, yeah, we're going to have to Google that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll bet I'll bet they do. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I'll bet that, that he's not kicked out of the family. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, he maybe is, but you know what? Kumail's happy. Yeah. Yes, he's, is, he's probably not happy that he's not part of the family maybe, but he's happy because he's got, he's with his wife and he's in love. So all I would say to that is listen to John Lennon, follow your heart and, and, you know, be in love and, and, you know, have excitement and passion for life, I guess. Yeah. I don't don't know. Just, uh, don't worry about what other people think. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I went on a soapbox. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Anyway, yes, stick around uh, next week. Again, we're going to do Avengers Infinity War. And thank you for listening. Please tell everybody you know about it. Share it on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We do. We do. Facebook.com slash The Pestle. What? Yeah. That wasn't taken already? I don't think so. I'm surprised. It wasn't like misquoting it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm not. Okay, great. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, yeah, so please come visit us there and leave a comment and uh, and subscribe. And until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.